You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia from the studios of Melbourne's community radio 3CR via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. If the drug dealer next door knocks on your door for a cup of sugar for his meth lab, don't despair. Don't despair. If the police rage you because you've got a Palestinian flag in New South Wales, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org. .au. My name's Joseph Toscano. Messages can be left on 0439 395 489. I don't respond to rude messages. Not that ever, I ever get any. Not that I'm encouraging you to send me rude messages. You can uh, email me at info at pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net or anarchistage at yahoo.com. Websites, anarchistmedia.org. Public interest before corporate interest. That's pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. The list goes on and on. Lots of things happening in the world today. Many YouTube channels, justoscar.nam. Public interest before corporate interests. You name it, we've got it. Instagrams, who knows what else is out there. But ultimately, it doesn't matter how much social media you wallow in like pigs in mud. The fact is that it's only when you take that step outside your front door and get involved in real, not virtual, activities that things begin to change. For anyone anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. What's a society without rulers? Well, it's not without rules. Rulers have the ability to determine the lives of billions of people. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people as we see around the world on a day-to-day basis? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common. So if you're involved in that struggle, whether you're an anarchist, whether you describe yourself as an anarchist or not, you have the mark of Cain. Now, just in case, we did put out some, I know this sounds very crass, but we did put out some anarchist, anarchist 
you know, anarchist uh, T-shirts. Ooh, I think about a year ago, we've got three left. Anarchist World This Week T-shirts, we've got three left. So if you want to grab one of those T-shirts, there's only three extra small ones. They're actually bigger than extra small. I think they're about small. You can uh, ring 94198377 if you listen to this program interstate, 0394198377 and snatch them up or go to the 3CR website and uh, look at their uh, program there and snatch them up. There's three left. Let's get rid of them. Now let's get on to some real news. Israel butchers Gaza while world averts its gaze. You get that feeling? You get that feeling, don't you? Now, they describe this as a war. There's a war in Gaza. A war. Well, actually, we're not looking at a war. It's a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. Or more importantly, bombing fish in a barrel. Because, you see, Gaza's about half the size of Canberra. And over the past two weeks, we've had, oh, maybe 18,000. That's right, 18,000 bombs, Israeli bombs, land on Gaza. There's 2.3 million people, minus 5,000. That's the death toll currently in Gaza. Half of them are children 15 and under. Uh, There's one way out and that's into Egypt, and that's heavily guarded, so nobody can leave. And little enters. And we've seen some quite horrific situations. Now, as I said before, brutality begets brutality. And uh, as people get, are beginning to realise, the Hamas, or Hamas, attack into southern Israel hasn't got a two-week history. We're talking about a 56-year history, 16-year history of blockade of Gaza. I mean, if I do what uh, the Israelis have done to the Gazans over the last, the Palestinians over the last uh, 16 years, to, uh, to a dog, I'd find myself in court. So what's it achieving? What's the Israeli hard line achieving? Are they going to wipe out Hamas, as they keep telling us? Now, you've got to understand Hamas has maybe a terrorist organisation in Australia, but in many parts of the world, especially the Middle East, it's just seen as a legitimate uh, resistance movement. And in Gaza, it's their government. So what's going to achieve? Well, all it's going to achieve is going to create a new generation of brutalised Hamas fighters. A new generation. It's been 56 years since the 67 war. It's been over 70 years since Israel was created. No political solution has been found to the situation. And we're now seeing a horror story unfold in Gaza, a story which will most likely expand in the very near future, in the next few days, as we see a new front open up by Hezbollah 
in uh, northern Israel and uh, northern Lebanon. I should say southern Lebanon. So you can actually see what's unfolding. But we like to think of the West as having moral superiority. You know, when the Chinese imposed a a more authoritarian rule in uh, Hong Kong, we were all aghast. Aghast at the brutality of the Chinese Communist Party. Although there weren't thousands dead in the streets of Hong Kong, there weren't tanks in the streets of Hong Kong, and there weren't planes bombing the hell out of Hong Kong. Just a bit bigger than the Gaza. But when twenty, when 2,000 Palestinian children have been blown to bits in the past two weeks in Gaza by the Israeli military, ho-hum. See, we've got bigger issues, bigger issues to look at, bigger issues to get worried about, bigger issues to debate in this country. We've got the 100th anniversary of Vegemite. That's a big issue to worry about. And then we've got a cartoon of a pixelated, naked Victorian Premier on a catwalk. That's a huge issue we need to worry about. But 2,000 Palestinian children blown to bits in Gaza? Well, in the last two weeks, ho-hum. That's the price they need to pay, isn't it? That's the price. Now, it's interesting to see... The so-called moral superiority, which the West and the USA and the State of Israel trades on, is being rapidly eroded as people begin to understand that the war in Gaza, as I said before, is like bombing fish in a barrel. You have a captured population, which is basically in a prison, which was created by the Israeli state, now finding themselves been bombed daily, thousands killed. Now, obviously, this is the Israeli response to the Hamas surprise attack. But you really wonder where the Israeli security authorities were and the Israeli armed forces were, that such atrocities were able to occur. Quite an extraordinary situation when you think about it. So will there be war in Gaza? Well, there'll be slaughter in Gaza. I wouldn't describe it as war. I mean, usually when you have war, you have, you know, two military forces facing each other. This is more like, as I said before, shooting or bombing fish in a barrel. And all that will come out of it at the end of the day, once a ceasefire comes into place, and a ceasefire will come into place, because of the rising tide of anger in the world. When you see the Chinese foreign minister calling the Israeli ambassador for addressing down, you begin to understand that people around the world are beginning to take interest. When you see the head of the United Nations say that the Hamas atrocities 
didn't occur two weeks ago, that there is a history to the creation of that situation in Gaza, you begin to understand. And when you realise that the uh, Israel has only got about 9 million people, it's surrounded by about 500 million Arabs, it is in a parlous situation, and if a, a new front opens up in Lebanon, and I expect that to open up in the next 48 hours, they'll be under a lot of military pressure. And that's why we saw Mr Biden in, the, uh, in, the, in Israel a few days ago. But the fact is that we are involved. It's no use averting our gaze to the horrific pictures which have come out of this situation, both in southern Israel and currently in Gaza over the last two weeks. It's hard to look at. It's hard to think about it. But if we turn our eyes and we don't think about it and we don't do something about it and we don't raise it and we don't discuss it, it will continue ad nauseum. It's only through public pressure, external pressure, which is actually placed on the Israeli state, that this type of situation will lead to a ceasefire initially and eventually to a two-state settlement. Because the current Israeli government seems to think that it has the never-ending support of the world and it enjoys a moral superiority, but its actions in Gaza have destroyed any so-called moral superiority it had as a consequence of the Holocaust, which I said before had nothing to do with Palestinians, although they are now being asked by Europe, which was responsible for the Holocaust, to actually uh, to pay the price, to, pr to pay that price. As I said before, it's interesting, Mr Albanese, the Australian Prime Minister, little Albo I call him, he's gone to the United States, he's trying to get the uh, submarines, uh, AUKUS submarine deal passed through Congress, which is a little bit of a quagmire currently because the uh, Republicans can't even agree on... Uh, you know, a leader of, of electing a leader of Congress, so they can't actually pass any legislation. That's the way it goes. Although Mr. Biden, you know, wants a hundred billion dollars for Ukraine and Israel, he can't quite get his hands on it. So, little elbow on behalf of the Australian people has gone to the big smoke. And usually, when you're a little elbow or little Australia, and you go to United States cap in hand. You expect them to buy your lunch, don't you? You expect them to give you the big military parade and buy your lunch and allow you to address Congress. Well, you can't address Congress because they haven't got a congressional leader. So that's gone. And Mr Biden has actually asked Little Elbow on behalf of the Australian people to buy him a Middle Eastern lunch. And that Middle Eastern lunch was announced today. This morning, as I speak, Australian airplanes, I think only two initially, that's how it happened in Vietnam in the 60s, remember, just advisors, and then 503 Australian dead, 3 million 
Vietnamese dead, almost 50,000, you know. US troops dead and 50 years later, Vietnam gets a tick of approval from Mr Biden who visited Vietnam, very important partner in the struggle against China. So see how things have changed. So Little Elbow has bought Biden of the USA a Middle Eastern lunch, a few planes and an unknown number of Australian troops. Reminds you of Iraq, does it? That disaster? Do we expect these Australian troops to be find themselves in northern Israel, fighting with the Israeli army against the Hezbollah onslaught, which will begin in the next two or three days? Do we expect the Australian Air Force to be involved in uh, bombing campaigns as this little disaster hots up because of the intransigence and the uh, activities of the Israeli government? Do we expect more and more Australian troops to be sent as the price of our alliance with the US of A? You see, what Australia has forgotten, the lesson of World War II, the lesson of Curtin and Chifley, that when push comes to shove, we're on our own. The Australian Prime Minister during World War II had demanded that Australian troops be sent back to Australia to defend Australia from the Japanese Imperial Forces onslaught, which had a lot more, which created a lot more damage in northern Australia than uh, Australians knew at that particular point in time, and most Australians realise today. When push came to shove, we had to defend our, ourselves. And it's the same if you look at Australian or USA military history over the last 50 or so years. Look at Vietnam. Who cut and run? The US forces. Look at Afghanistan recently. 20 years of war and the organisations which were left behind in Afghanistan, the government organisations so riddled with corruption that they were overrun by a poorly armed Taliban within two weeks. Look at the disaster in Iraq, which led to the creation of Islamic State, the, mil the a million dead. In that, uh, in that ability, you know, in that ability to try to change the government of the day. Extraordinary. So when push comes to shove, and we've seen this already in the US Congress, the USA is primarily interested in the USA. They're really not interested in their allies because if push comes to shove, it's not their allies that count. What counts is their security. And if they need to cut and run, they will cut and run. And we see this on a regular basis. Let's move on. Let's look at our region right now. The Indonesian presidential elections will occur in four months. 
the current Indonesian president, Joko, has done his two terms. And what's happened? His son has now, with his father's blessing, has now teamed up with a war criminal. With a war criminal involved in atrocities in East Timor before independence and in West Papua. Pro bono. General Pro Bono. He will be the next president of of Indonesia within four months. Do you think anything will change for West Papuans apart from increased repression, increased military aggression, increased atrocities, increased kidnappings, increasing numbers of bodies on the streets of activists? Do you think we'll see the Australian government jump up and down about the death of 500,000 West Papuans in their own country in the last 60 years and the continuing war the West Papuan independence movement is involved in against the military forces? Do we see the Australian government talk about stopping training Indonesian troops? Do we see them raising the issue of West Papua with the Indonesian government? No. But we do see them jumping up and down regarding Hong Kong, regarding the Uyghurs, regarding Ukraine, regarding Israel. But 70 kilometres from our borders, the Australian border, 70 kilometres, not 10,000 kilometres, where we're sending troops now, but 70 kilometres, with the election of a war criminal as the next president of Indonesia, who will obviously continue that repressive course in West Papua, do we see the Australian government or the Australian opposition, that great Australian opposition, do anything, say anything, Of course not. Extraordinary. What moral superiority? We have no moral superiority. Whether it's the atrocities which were committed against this country's First Nations people and the atrocity, the atrocity of the 14th of October 2023 when the hand of First Nations people was pushed away by us settlers? Do we really think that our security is intrinsically tied to the USA? Do we really think that? And if we do, we're fools. We are total fools because little elbow, little Mr Albanese, the Australian Prime Minister, as he wanders towards Congress and finds the doors are locked and he can't address Congress because they can't even elect a Speaker, let alone pass legislation, such a dysfunctional 
state. Do you really think that if push comes to shove and American sovereign interests are threatened, that we would somehow, as a people, be protected by the US? There is no three lunch. In a capitalist society, obviously there's no free lunch. And obviously, the fact that Albanese's visit to Washington to visit Mr Biden, the, you know, the, the zombie American president, and I've seen more life in some zombie movies than Mr Biden, you know, that we've got to buy him lunch, we've got to give him a few military aircraft and an unknown number of troops that well, there is some moral superiority regarding our politics, the way we deal with atrocities across the world? Of course there's none. And obviously if we continue down this pathway, we will find ourselves in the same situation that... Australia found itself in World War Two as the Japanese Imperial forces came through Japan. While Australia's hardened battle prepared troops were in the were in the Middle East once again, at Tobruk, fighting the German army. We relied on eighteen and nineteen and twenty year old conscripts to halt the Japanese at Kokoda, the Chocos, as they were termed. It was the Chocos, the, sol the chocolate soldiers that would melt in the sun, who were the real heroes of World War II, who turned the Japanese invasion back at Kokoda. And we need to remember those lessons of history that ultimately... Our defence as a sovereign state, and more so as people, people, not a sovereign state, our defence is ultimately dependent on us, nobody else. And with the coming election of a war criminal as president of Indonesia, we need to be in a position to be able to mobilise forces when necessary. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on three, from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne via the Community Radio Network across Australia. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on. Look, I love being an Australian. I was born in this country, so don't tell me to go back home. Well, you could tell me to go back to Europe. That's where my ancestors came from, but I, I'm one of the settlers, you know. You know, not the real settlers, not the squatter class, not a descendant of the squatter class, you know. One of those children of migrants who were, come, who were brought across to do all that work after World War II because it was about populating or perishing as a nation. Yeah, So, but I love being an Australian because, you know, I love sport. No... No, no, no. I don't like the AFL. 
I don't like rugby union. I don't even know what it is. Rugby league, volleyball. Well, no, I don't think we have a volleyball team. Oh, we've got a beach volleyball team. That's right. Cricket. What else is there? You name it. There's sport. Tiddlywinks, lacrosse, golf. Wow. Sporting nation. I live in the sporting capital of the universe, Melbourne town. We're 100,000 people crowd into the MCG to watch their favourite team kick a ball through, was it a hoop? No, between sticks. You know, it's a great place. But there is one sport that I really admire, my fellow Australians. You like that? My fellow Australians. I think I'm Gough Whitlam, don't I? My fellow Australians. It's minority bashing. That's right. The AFL isn't Australia's favourite sport. The Matildas isn't Australia's favourite sporting team. Australia's favourite sport is minority bashing. It's a great sport. Because like Gaza, you know, if you've got a minority and you've got overwhelming superiority, it's very easy to indulge yourself in minority bashing and usually there's very little, how shall I put it, um, consequences. And over the last 30 years, we have seen an extraordinary amount of minority bashing. It's not just based on race. That's the great thing about minority bashing is our favourite sport. You know, the favourite national sport is equal opportunity. It's an equal opportunity sport. Everybody's welcome. You know, we had, in the good old days, we had the gays to bash but unfortunately things have changed and they've now been incorporated in Australian society then I remember during the Howard regime we had those asylum seekers who were throwing their children in the ocean yep we had at least a decade of minority bashing as far as asylum seekers and refugees were concerned. It hasn't stopped, but it hasn't, it hasn't reached the crescendo. You know, it was a great sport, that minority bashing. And then, you know, we had the wonderful minority bashing of people on social security benefits. You know, the, the, the fiasco we just had through the Morrison government, where they were trying to extract money people didn't know, you know, in the robo-debt scheme from Australians, mainly on, you know, on unemployment benefits. They're really, they're leaners, aren't they? And those people on disability support pensions, they've all got Mediterranean banks, haven't they? You know, they're not, you know, they're not real Aussies. You know, they're leaners, they're leaners. And we love that sport. Went on for years, although the courts found it was illegal not to give money back to that particular minority. But as an Australian, I am always proud of us as far as how the main minority bashing sport we have you know, when everything else fails, is First Nations minority bashing. National sport. If you haven't got asylum seekers, refugees, 
people on social security benefits, you know, Muslims. That was a good minority of the bash a few years ago. There's always Australia's Indigenous people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. That is the epitome. That is the Colosseum. That's right, of our minority bashing. And you see, while we're minority bashing, we actually forget that most of us are part of a minority. That most of us can find ourselves in the spotlight of institutions, governments and corporations which need to divide us in order to continue to grow the inequalities which exist in this country. That's right. Divide and rule. Divide us on the basis of religion. Divide us on the basis of culture, language, sexuality, gender. You name it. As long as we continue to somehow believe that the other, not the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, not those people who exercise authority in this country, whether it's officially through government or unofficially through the corporate sector, we will continue to revel in Australia's favourite sport, minority bashing. Let's move on. Now, did you know, now, I'm sure you did, I mean, everybody listens to the Anarchist World this week knows everything, obviously, if you didn't know everything, you wouldn't listen to the Anarchist World this week. You'd be listening to some commercial radio station talk about the 100th anniversary of Vegemite or about a pixelated cartoon of the Victorian Premier who I understand was naked on a catwalk in a cartoon. Heaven forbid. Did you know that Australians, the one percenters, have $370 billion in foreign tax havens. That's right. Legally, of course. Legally. You know, everything that's done in this country is legal. $370 billion in foreign tax havens. While 36% of Australian households face food insecurity... And the Reserve Bank is now crapping on about increasing interest rates because of inflation, inflation which is caused not by you and me, but supply issues, external issues, wars, the list goes on and on. But you've noticed during this period that company profits haven't decreased, especially bank profits... They continue to close branches. They continue to force you to be a little, you know, a little addition to their computer. You know, go over there, boy. Go over there, girl. You know, over there, over there, whoever you are. Do it on the computer. We don't want to see you. You know, we just want your money. And a million children 
living in poverty in this country. Hmm? This extraordinarily rich society in comparison to the rest of the world. And we continue to have these issues. You know, every royal commission we've had in the last four or five years has highlighted the inadequacies of the aged care sector, the robo-debt fiasco, veteran suicide, that Royal Commission's still going on. The list goes on and on. And all of those that you who believe that we're all equal before the law, you know, go to court without a lawyer and see how equal you are. But I thought that was an interesting fact. Not fairy, not like the social media crap, you know, you kind of, you're drowning irrelevant shit that's mainly usually made up by people who don't even know what they're talking about. Well, that's why it's belief system. $370 billion held in foreign tax havens by the 1% of Australians who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, while 36% of households face food insecurity and with the possibility the real possibility of increasing interest rates, we will see this problem escalate. But what will we do? Well, we will go in for the old minority bashing. 14th of October 2023, Australia's day of shame. Put back re, uh, reconciliation by decades. I won't see it in my lifetime. I won't see a treaty in my lifetime. I won't see truth-telling in my lifetime. Maybe at the 300th anniversary of two or three more generations, and it's been 235 years since colonisation began, we will see something. So it was really fascinating to see the black sovereign movement used by a football, as a football, by racist elements, and not only the racist elements, which we can deal with, but the squatters. That's right, the descendants of the squatters. Those generations which got all that free land and that free convict labour. Because remember, Australia was based on three principles. Genocide, free land, to gentlemen of name and quality, only gentlemen of name and quality and free labour, convict labour as I mentioned a few weeks ago about poor old James Strater who in March I think it was 1825 I could be wrong was charged with the heinous crime of encouraging his master's servants to oblige him to increase their pay and improve their rations. And for that heinous crime, he was sentenced to 500 lashes of the cat o' nine tail. That's 500 lashes. And if he survived the 500 lashes, he's going to be thrown into solitary confinement for a month from bread and water. And then he was sent to Port Macquarie in western Tasmania to serve the rest of his sentence. 
and things were so harsh in Port Macquarie it made Norfolk Island look like a picnic that convicts would draw lots to see who would kill whom so that they would be hung because of that murder. That's right. James Strater, March 1825. Has much changed? Not really when you think about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Good news. Yeah, I thought we'd have a bit of good news on the Anarchist World this week. There's no point always having bad news, is there? No, not the second coming. I'm relying on that to happen in the Middle East, all right? You know, all those Christian fundamentalists who believe Christ or God or whatever, I know, is going to come down and the Middle East is going to be the epicentre for the destruction of the world. Well, maybe they're right. You never know the way things are moving. Remember how World War I started when a Serbian nationalist, no, not an anarchist, a Serbian nationalist, assassinated the Archduke, Archduke Ferdinand and all because of all the different alliances. The World War I broke out and 25 million workers, including 62,000 Australians, died at either end of a bayonet, fighting the good fight, not for democracy, not for freedom, but for God, King and country. And it is good to know that we can do the same thing. We can still fight for our King. Prince Charlie. So the good news is not the second coming. The good news, <laughs> I found this incredible. I really did. There's a lot of incredible things in the world today. But Microsoft, that good citizen of the world, has teamed up with Australian security agencies. That's the agencies who are there to protect you from the likes of Hamas, Hamas and the West Papua Independent Movement and the Chinese and the Russians and the Martians. They're all there. They're there to protect you. And all those people who want to get their access to your bank account because you've been forced into computer, you know, to computerise your money. Well... They have formed a partnership. I describe it as the private-public partnership of the 21st century. Wow. They're going to give us $5 billion for nothing. Microsoft, you know, a corporation which relies and creates never-increasing profits for their major shareholders. And going to give you, the little Australian people, that's right, us, the little people, $5 $5 billion and they're going to team up with Australia Security Agency. And guess what? They have the naming rights. You know, when you go to a big sporting event, you know, the Melbourne Cup, Lexus, Melbourne Cup, whatever, they've got a naming right. You go to a stadium, you sell the naming right. Well, they've got a naming right, the Microsoft whatever, you know, Cyber Security Shield, whatever it's going to be called, because of our public... I mean, I'm thinking, what? Haven't we even got enough resources to actually create our own security screen as far as the World Wide Web is concerned? 
haven't we got the expertise, the people, the finances? We're going to have to rely on a large corporation to actually finance it and control it? I mean, we all talk about TikTok and the Chinese, you know, the Chinese government having access to information. But how about Microsoft having access to all that security details? Come on. It was almost universal acclaim, universal support. The media hacks fell over themselves telling us what a great good news story this was. I thought it was the second coming. I thought Israel had started using nuclear bombs in the Middle East. I thought God or Jesus Christ, his son, was going to come down and save all of us. I was going to become a Pentecostalist. I think that's how you pronounce it. I was waiting for the good news, but the good news was we've teamed up with a corporation to try to maintain security for Australians to protect their data. Now that we've been forced by government departments, corporations, banking institutions, financial institutions to hand over all our data, which they hold for indefinitely. And then when it's hacked, placed on the black web, sold for a pittance, people shrug their shoulders and say, ah, well, that's the price we pay. But now, the good news, Microsoft and Australia security agencies are going to combine, that's right, combine to protect you and me, to protect little you and me from theft. I am so excited by this good news. I feel like tearing my clothes off and joining the Victorian Premier on the catwalk, in a cartoon, obviously. What wonderful news. What wonderful news. It makes the second coming look pale by insignificance. Ah, good news. That's what I like on the Anarchist World this week. All we have is good news. Here I am broadcasting in a box, listening. That's right. I am listening to the hole that's been dug next door. But that's a different story. There'll be all this new housing which will be created. You've got a few mil, you'll be able to move in. You know, you need a few mil, but so it's good to see. Now, more good news. The Australian housing crisis. Everything's thrown at it bar the kitchen sink and public housing. Hmm? A little bit like the Microsoft Security Private Public Partnership, the partnership of the 21st century. We hear state governments talk about housing. We hear the federal government talk about assisting the state government to provide housing for Australians. We hear talk about people being forced to sell their homes because their interest rates has increased their mortgage repayments from 2000 to 3000 you know, in a 12-month period. You know, we hear about rents going up 30%. In the last, what, we see people wandering the streets who are homeless. But 
But we have a solution that excludes public housing. That's the beauty. Now, in the 50s or the 40s, when returned servicemen and women who had done the hard work came back to this country, many found themselves homeless. Have a look at pictures of Melbourne in the 1940s, tent cities of returned servicemen and women in the Botanical Gardens and the MCG. Pressure was placed on governments and an extensive public housing program resulted, not just in Victoria but the rest of Australia. Returned servicemen and women had... Act, unless you're an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, let's get this right, because minority bashing was a big sport then, had access to what they call defence housing at very reduced interest rates. Public housing, reduced interest rates, which they bought over time. 15% of Victorians were in public housing by the end of the 1960s. Today it's 3%. As the Victorian government and the New South Wales government and many other state governments around the country have jumped on the private-public partnership bandwagon, giving state-owned land, government-owned land to the private sector to build, to build housing. 90% goes to the developer, 10% goes to the social affordable Community sector. No public housing. Public housing gives people security of tenure. And those of you who are listening to this program who rent know how important security of tenure is. Not a year-to-year rental agreement. Over 40% of Germans live in public housing. Austrians, I think it's 50%. Australians are paying... On average, I think about 16.7% of their income to service mortgage repayments in this country, while Italians pay 4.6% of their income to service their mortgages. And we have our Reserve Bank governor, you know, talk about the need for increasing interest rates because of inflation, which is not of our own doing. And we as a people, those of us who are not part of the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange or communication, or the 8% that are part of the investment class that has enough disposable income after meeting their day-to-day costs to get involved in buying stocks and shares, a second home, which they can rent, and they can get tax advantages. What an extraordinary country we live in. Hallelujah. The second coming has come. I'm sure of it. You know, you can get a tax deduction for owning a second home. You can get a tax deduction for owning stocks and shares. What an extraordinary country we live in. You pay voluntary taxation if you're a corporation. But if you're a small business person and you don't pay your tax on time or before time, as you're supposed to, bad luck. The Australian tax office will be on your back because you're a small fish. It's easier to catch small fish than big fish. And that's the nature of the country we find ourselves in the situation. We've allowed this to occur. You know why we've allowed this to occur? Because we have all been 
mesmerised by Australia's favourite sport, minority bashing. But ultimately, we are all part of a minority. Ultimately, we are all paying the price for the situation today. Whether you're a First Nations person, whether you're an immigrant, whether you're an asylum seeker, whether you're a refugee, whether you're a wage earner, whether you're a small business person, we are paying that price. And we are expected to continue to pay that price without protesting. Walk into any financial institution, any bank, any shop, it says, treat our staff with respect. Well, isn't it about time that we were treated with respect? You know? You and I were treated with respect? As I said before, in Gaza, brutality begets brutality. Respect begets respect. That's the reality. So, you continue to be, you can Continue to be an internet warrior, and if you get a sore finger, it's called clicked activism. There are medications you can use for that. You can continue to, you know, be part of. I'm going to do something about that tribe, but never get round to doing it. You know, you can continue to say be part of. Somebody should do something about that tribe, and I can understand that because we're all pow- we all feel powerless, but we're not powerless ultimately. Change comes from you taking action. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is a podcast. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can uh, access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office. Yes, yes, you can write letters. Happy to accept them. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. That's info at pipsy.net. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week on your favourite local community radio station across Australia, north to south, east to west, courtesy of the, those great folk at the Community Radio Network. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your favourite local community radio station next week. And if it's the first time you listen to the Anarchist World this week and it's not on your favourite community radio station, knock on the station manager's door. Say, are you a member of the Community Radio Network? If you're not, why not broadcast the Anarchist World this week? And like trip four triple Z, if you're not a member of the Community Radio Network, we can send you the program. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your favourite community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events.
wash my hands. Oh, Lord,3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organization, and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.